This is Eden on 88.9 The Bridge. Welcome back to my show, Garden of Eden. It's Garden of Eden, and I'm your host. I talk about what I like most. Garden of Eden! (laughs) Today, I am joined with Glory Frankie, Senior Privacy Attorney at Zoom. Glory, thank you so much for joining me today. Eden, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, I think it would be best to start with you talking, I know this is a, a broad question, but talking a little bit about your background, um, your career, and kind of how you fell into being a data privacy lawyer, which is such a cool job. It, thank you. It is a cool job, and I really did fall into it pretty much. Um, so, it, you know, my, my professional story really starts with me meeting a Swede in a bar in Dallas, and that Swede then became my husband, and I moved to Sweden. And we actually decided I, I wanted to be a lawyer. I was, <laughs> I wanted to be a lawyer, but I was te- a teacher in Sweden. I taught students at a, a school where the language of instruction was English, and I taught math, physics, and sewing. And it was oh. terrifying to eighth and ninth graders. It was so scary. <laughs> um, but what I wanted to do was be a lawyer, and I had wanted that since before I met my husband. And we, just for fun, I had been working on my Swedish language skills during the first few years there. And we had our first daughter and I started to apply to law school in the US and our plan was that we would move to the US and I'd go to law school. And then we had our second daughter, Kate, who you know, (laughs) and Philip took paternity leave because in Sweden, it's very common that you do that. And I was going to work on my Swedish more and the way that I did that was by applying to, to law school in Sweden, kind of just mostly because Philip wanted me to try it. And I thought, oh, I won't get in. I'll just make him happy. And then I got in and then we just thought, well, this will be good for my Swedish. You know, we never thought I would really go to law school in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started going to law school in Sweden and it worked really well. And it's a lot less expensive than in the U.S. And we had this great daycare for the girls. It was right in our building. So, you know, I could walk, I could see Kate and Joy playing out in the garden just outside my bedroom window as I was studying. And it was just such a nice lifestyle that we thought, let's, you know, I'll just become a Swedish lawyer instead of moving back to the US. Then we actually moved to Belgium and I finished my Swedish law degree doing an exchange program in Belgium. So then I started working in Brussels, which is the capital of the European Union. And I start, I just, I just wanted to work because it was kind of tricky moving around like this. And the area I started working in was climate change. And then I switched to um, environmental law, primarily chemical regulation. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I know it was, it was, uh, I made it interesting, but even it was kind of boring. <laughs> I mean, it sounds cool though. You saying it sounds cool. It was, it was really interesting because it was very much um, helped me understand how the European level of law works. But then in 2012, my husband, Philip, got a really fun job offer in Seattle. And it was a point where it made sense to move as a family. So I took a real leap of faith. I was at that point, I was working in a pretty prestigious law firm called Sidley Austin. And I was on, you know, what you call a partner track. So on track to become a law firm partner there, it was going really well. But we wanted the kids to have the opportunity to, to be American. And we felt like they had to live here to, under, to, to have that chance. So in 2012, we moved back here. And I left my like kind of fancy job and 
stayed home with the kids and went back to law school in the US to get my US law degree. So that was really interesting because I remained employed by the EU firm working remotely in, and then I was in law school. It was crazy. Anyway, yeah, it's crazy. we still have to get to the data privacy part. So <laughs> finished, I finished law school here and then I um, joined a law firm in Seattle and it was like a natural thing that I would go to their environmental law practice. But here in the US, environmental law is a lot about this area of law, the Superfund area, which is all about basically cleaning up contaminated sites. And I mean, like literally cleaning up dirty dirt. It was not my thing. It wasn't <laughs> fun. But there was one lawyer at the firm where I was, DWT, who had an EU practice. And I really wanted to continue to use my EU legal skills. And he happened to be a data privacy lawyer. And so I just pestered, I just begged and begged and begged him to give me work and let me start practicing in that area of law. And it happened to be data privacy. And it was right before Europe introduced a really um, important data privacy law called the General Data Protection Regulation or GDPR. So I became a data privacy lawyer with the most important law working with you know fancy clients on implementation of that. And it's such an interesting area as a, as a citizen as well. So that's, that's what I, so I, you know, went from there to T-Mobile and then another place. And then in June, I joined Zoom and that's where I am now. What an interesting background and getting to dabble in all of these different areas. Well, I guess not even dabble, become like heavily involved in these super cool areas. That's a lot of fun. And now I want to talk more about data privacy Yeah, because First of all, what is data privacy? I know that you came and spoke at one of our women in STEM meetings and I learned so much about it then, but I don't even, I don't think I could have told you in a strong definition of what it was before that. So yeah, it's like, it, so it's in our, our lives every single day and people don't totally. know about it. So what is data privacy and why is it important? So data is all of the information about you, Eden. You, you leave a, you can think of it as like, you're leaving a trail when you're online everything you do is being logged or basically there's a record being kept and all of that information, every website Eden Voss has ever visited, every um, you know online purchase you've ever made, all of that information is your data. So that's your personal data. And the reason that I think it's important is because you can take all that data and put it together and, and know a lot about you and how to influence Eden Voss. And it's used a lot, for example, by advertisers to try to get Eden Voss to you know, purchase their things, but it's also used by, for example, like with the Cambridge Analytica incident, it's used by companies to influence how you vote, for example. So, but privacy to me, if you kind of step back, your online privacy is really about, um, you don't want enterprises or the government to have control or power over you. And, and knowledge about you really is powerful. If you think of it as like, if you're standing in front of a window, you want to know that you can close a window. If there are some things you don't want to stand in front of a window and do, right? Mm -hmm. you want to pull the curtains. Mm -hmm. And right now when you're online, you're kind of in a fishbowl. <laughs> right? With a whole lot of marketers and governments who can see what you're doing. And I think we should care about that because I think there's a, a lot at stake. I mean, you can tell a lot about a person if you watch what they do online. It's 
all day when I when I'm browsing the internet, I'm not thinking about the fact that I'm in a fishbowl and that people can see my data and learn all this stuff about me and advertise towards me with it. Would what ways do data privacy violations or like what ways do we see data privacy in our everyday lives? Like using your phone, using your computer. Yeah. So, and they're not even, that's not a vibe that what's interesting there, Eden, is that it's totally legal to do this in the US, that Europe is more protected and California has introduced more protections, but it's not illegal right now for marketers to be watching what you do and trying to market to you. But for example, I, I think I mentioned this when I spoke with the women in STEM, I think, I think it's really interesting that as you're all um, applying to college, those colleges, when you go to their website, there are cookies or trackers on your website that they can use to identify you and keep track of how much time you're spending on their website, you know, to help them understand how interested you might be because colleges want to offer a, a spot to someone who's going to accept. So they want to try to gauge your real interest in the university, but they're also looking to see, you know, they're building a profile on you. So they're also looking to see, okay, Eden Voss, oh, she has a Mercer Island address, that zip code tells us that she probably can afford to pay full tuition, mm -hmm. which, which is another thing that's probably considered in the whole calculus of who gets accepted and who doesn't. And that's completely legal for, for the universities to be tracking your behavior on their website, but it's not something that you expect so much to be happening. So that's an example, I think. Do you think, this is a big question, do you think it should be legal? I think, well, what I don't, the other thing that's really kind of, I think important to understand is that that information is then sold. Mm -hmm. The information about Eden Voss is becomes a valuable, becomes valuable and is being sold to other parties and not always for good purposes. Like you can purchase lists of individuals who have um, addictions or lists of individuals who are short on cash and then they can be marketed to by payday lenders, for example. So I think consumers need to be protected. And I think because technology is pretty far in front of where what consumers understand is happening, we need to regulate that technology. So I don't actually do any regulation. Those it's lawmakers that create the laws that but like people are going to do whatever's legal, right? Mm -hmm. And it's only if you make it illegal that people will change their behavior, it seems to me. Um, but I very purposely chose to work at Zoom because it's a company where we, we have a product and the product is not your data. So we're, we're not selling Eden Voss's online behavior to anybody else. Mm -hmm. Where there are other, a lot of other online businesses make their money by selling basically selling information about your behavior to advertisers. So that was one of the big pulls for me with Zoom, the fact that there's a, a product, a really good product, and there's no focus on monetizing your data, customer's data. And then our leadership is really supportive of that, which you know makes it a, and it's just a great product and it's a, and it's a super interesting space to be in as a data privacy lawyer because of the, enormous growth Zoom has, Zoom has gone through in the last year. Um, I guess moving into talking about Zoom a little bit more, what's it like working at a company that went through this like exponential growth and continues to grow so much? And now you know, probably everyone you know has been 
on Zoom. And if they're like me, they're on Zoom every single day for multiple hours. What's it like being in a company like that? It's really fun. I mean, if, if you like, I like my, I like being a data privacy lawyer. I can really geek out on this stuff. I think it's super interesting. So I like the work and then the people are really nice, but it's also nice to work at a company where I don't have to try to explain what, what I do. Everybody knows what Zoom is, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's also, it feels nice to work for a company that has a, it feels like a good purpose right now. Yeah. Even though just, I mean, believe me, I, I would be happy not to be on Zoom so much myself but the alternative is not great. So, well, I'm not speaking about competitors. I just mean, it's nice to be able to have video communication instead of nothing. Mm -hmm. I am also wondering when you began working at Zoom, what issues with data privacy were they having? So the big thing that happened was that Zoom was originally primarily used by companies mm -hmm. and companies usually have like an IT department. They purchase a new tool like Zoom and they get it all set up and have all the settings put the way that they want it to be for the whole organization. They take care of the security settings and all of those kinds of things. And then employees just use the tool. Mm -hmm. And so up until the pandemic, Zoom had about 10 million daily users. Then with the pandemic, first of all, our CEO literally over a weekend decided schools are gonna need a tool so we're going to lift the 40 minute limit for schools and they can all use it you know, as much as they want. So suddenly overnight, there were all of these schools on the platform and all sorts of consumers. And Eden Voss, you're, you don't have a tech department, right? <laughs> and, and schools have tech departments, but not the way companies do necessarily. So, so there were a lot of users who didn't have their security settings configured to the safest setting because there was an expectation from Zoom that an IT department would be taking care of that. Uh-huh. So in the beginning, it was kind of chaos as all of these new consumers and different kinds of users came on the platform. And Zoom worked really hard to produce a lot of guidance and support for helping schools and yoga teachers and everyone under the sun use Zoom in, in a safe and private way. But that was a that was a transition period for sure. Okay. And then moving again more broadly. So protecting your data, how do you do it? With it also with um, in the US, it being yeah. legal for people to use your data. How do you protect it? I mean, I don't think you, I, I don't know of a good way to protect it other than I am not a big fan of social media. Mm -hmm. um, and I also try to think of, and I do this with email and everything, anything you do online, you can think of it as doing publicly. Like, even though it feels like you're at home by yourself in your room, just it, it's your reputation is really attached to what you're doing online. And it is very hard to, once something is out there, it's very hard to take back. So I, I actually feel bad for you guys. I think it's hard because you should have the free, like part of privacy is having the freedom to do dumb stuff and not have it held against you forever. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately the internet doesn't forget and it makes it easy to judge other people too. You know how like when you're driving, it's easy to be mad at someone until you make eye contact and then you're like, oh, that's a person. And, yeah. yeah. Know? <laughs> so I think I try to think of, 
everything I do online is like, would I be totally fine with my boss or my grandma or my kids seeing this? Oh, uh, not very fun, huh? So it, I, it's <laughs> no, it's like, um, it's not even protecting your data. It's just knowing that someone could see it. Yeah. So then, then so this yes. is interesting though, this, because one of the problems with not having privacy is that it stifles your free thought. So I am, you can hear that I sort of, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, censoring my own behavior online, right? Oh, so, yeah. yeah, so it has what they call a chilling effect. So even though maybe I'm really interested in, I don't know, Satanism or something, mm -hmm. I would never wanna put that in a browser bar on my work computer or any other computer for that matter just because I'm paranoid. But but there's nothing wrong with being interested in Satanism necessarily. I mean, it's having intellectual curiosity is a constitutionally protected freedom, but the lack of online privacy, I would argue really- Restricts like freedom of thought. Yeah. Wow. You would, I mean, I think Kate was telling you about how you were telling her uh, about how data privacy didn't exist until like 2010 or something like that, or there wasn't a need for data privacy lawyers until. Well, maybe. right. And if you think about it, you know, there wasn't the internet. <laughs> was yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, but data privacy has existed like in Europe. Um, there's a much longer history of data privacy and it has a pretty, um, serious history there where there was the Stasi in Germany who kept all of these files on citizens and you know or, or in um, was it in uh, the Netherlands they developed a identity card system that made it really easy to identify Jews for example mm -hmm. so that and there was a much higher incidence of um, I, I might be getting my facts wrong here but the ability to track people and know these facts about people had really horrific consequences in Europe. And that's what led to Europe has had data protection laws since after World War II, starting in Germany, and then they'd spread. And so the US is where it's different, or maybe they have had data privacy laws in just different ways? The US data privacy law is what is called the, uh, the FTC Act. And it's basically a sentence that says, it's a prohibition against unfair or deceptive trade practices. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's it. That's where like the big, the big, when Facebook was fined $5 billion, it was based on a FTC. Well, actually it's more complicated than that, but ultimately the US's main privacy regulator is the FTC or Federal Trade Commission. And they enforce the FTC Act and when it, they're enforcing, when they're, um, when there's a privacy issue, it's violation of that unfair, deceptive trade practices. Uh -huh. So that's why in the US, it's really important that you say what you're doing and then do what you say. So the privacy policy becomes like the rules you have to comply with for as a company. But the big difference between Europe and the US is that in Europe, you have to, you can't use someone's, people have a legal right to protect their personal data. Oh. 
then you as a company cannot use their personal data unless you have what's called a legal basis. So some legal justification, and there's only a couple, there's only a handful of those where in the US, you just can't engage in unfair or deceptive trade practices. Which is vague. Yeah. I'm wondering, especially with the, the increase in the way that social media is becoming like a part of our society and everyone's using it and you have an entire generation of like um, kids growing up on social media, where do you see data privacy going as like use of the internet as, as like our entire society becomes more and more dependent on use of the internet and yeah. is putting more data out there? What I hope Eden is that we are sort of like with cars, when cars were first developed, um, when seatbelts became a thing, the auto manufacturers absolutely did not want to have seatbelts in their cars. They thought they were mm -hmm. ugly and that consumers would not want to use them. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until there was a law that required cars to be produced with seatbelts that you know, there was that shift. Now we wouldn't think about, you don't think, you wouldn't get in a car and you wouldn't get into, you, you wouldn't throw all your kids in the back seat of, you wouldn't babysit and let the kids, you know, roll around in the yeah. back with them. You felt on, right? Yeah, you wouldn't. It's just accepted or, so I hope that we're still in the very early days of learning as a society, how we want to be and how we want our online lives to be lived. So I'm hopeful that there will be regulation California has a, um, California is leading the way in the U.S. with data privacy regulations. So there's a new law that went into effect there at the beginning of 2020, which will get which gives people protection. So I think progress is being made. It's just um, law has probably always fallen behind technology, and technology is moving so quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, do you think that? people's privacy and violations of privacy will be getting any any worse than they are now? Or do you think that right now it will, it's just about law catching up with technology? And so we'll see things just like getting steadily better. I would like to think it's going to get steadily better, but I don't really think so until, I mean, no, I think what we see, what you saw with the 2016 election and now what we just saw in the Capitol, we don't even, we can't even agree on facts, right? Yeah. So I, I hope it will get better, but without regulation, I don't see how it will happen. And then there's also artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. And all of these, sorry, I keep asking questions off of this, but it's so it's so interesting. I think it's interesting too. I hope you're not bored, but I know. <laughs> I think this is fascinating. So talking about politics, you, you bring up the 2016 election and then the, and the Capitol and there's this whole, ugh, it makes your brain hurt when people say fake news, don't trust oh. that news stores, that's not true, this election was stolen, but I don't think that. And I think, do you think that there's a way that increased regulation on the internet can help these, these problems? And do you see further elections having a lot of complications because of the internet? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why it, it's, it works, right? Um, nudging people and manipulating them online works. So until it's regulated, I don't see why anybody would stop. But there is, there, Europe's GDPR, because it applies to companies out, so you can be a company that's based outside of Europe, but if you are monitoring EU residents or you are selling goods or supply, goods or services to EU residents, then you have to comply with it. So mm -hmm. that law has had a really important global effect 
I think what would be most helpful now is if they would start to give really hefty enforcement penalties. Uh-huh. So we'll see. I I think it's an important area. And I, I do think it's important for young people to, to, to avoid the danger of being like, well, I don't have anything to hide. Because I think it, it is, it's really important actually that we have privacy. I mean, I look at my, one of my daughters does a lot of protesting and I don't want her to be tracked and put on lists of, you know, mm -hmm. dangerous people, but she carries a little tracker in her pocket called a cell phone. So <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I, I do hear that very often. Like I have nothing to hide. I've said that yeah. I'm like, I'm they can be watching me. Yeah. I'm boring. Who would care? Exactly. But I guess there are ways that people can use your data to make you buy things and make you think Isn't that or just make you like go to one website or not another and not another. It just makes me mad. Like I don't, it feels, it's so sneaky and yucky. Well, I mean, I remember a super interesting example. I'll probably get this wrong. So you'll have to clarify where I'm wrong, but um, in women in STEM, you brought up how, if I'm like looking on American Eagle at t-shirts and then yeah. I go to like some other website, I'll see an ad on the side for oh, yeah. my American Eagle t-shirt that I was just looking at. Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. Sorry. Sometimes I forget, like, to me, that's like one of the real basic, I, I kind of forget. Uh, no one knows. Yeah, well, privacy. But yeah, that's the reason, you know, there, there are these cookies that are placed on your, it's a little piece of file that's placed on your browser so that American Eagle knows, oh, Eden just came and visited our site. And she looked at that shirt and those socks or whatever. And then there's a whole network that's collecting that information and following you so that when the next site you go to, they can flash those ads of the things that you just looked at. So it's literally like if you were in a store, someone sitting on your shoulder and like looking to see everything that you touch. And then everywhere you go, they're like jumping around, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you say you think of it as so basic and maybe, maybe I'm just the one who was oh, like, that's no, so new to me, but you. I feel like it's not, it's, <laughs> This, I feel like other people don't know that. And when you get it on a website and it's like, accept all cookies or whatever, you don't even think about that. You just press yeah. yes, accept. I mean, I, yeah. I just press yes, accept too, but I do use ad blockers. That's something you can do. So use an ad blocker or the, most of the browsers allow you to block ads. And I mean, I pay more for Apple products because I, I do think that they're not in the business of trying to sell my data. Uh-huh. Um, what else can you do? I think knowledge is kind of power. So there's some good, um, movies out there. There's the, the Cambridge Analytica one. What was that called? The great hack, I think, or something like that. And then sure. there was another one recently, the one about social media. What was that called? There was the social dilemma and then the social network. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. One was pretty recent. Both those were, I think both those were around the same. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm sure it was one of them. Yeah, I think it's good to watch those documentaries about how social media works, how elections get hacked. Yeah, <laughs> how we're being influenced. But it's also so scary because like what you were saying earlier, like how can how can you try to protect your data? You really can't. And so when you know about it, you say knowledge is power, but then it's like you feel kind of hopeless. Like what are you supposed to do? I know. I mean, sometimes like I'm not on Facebook and 
I know that a lot of the senior parents are doing this 10 picture challenge or something. Mm -hmm. And I said to Kate, like, oh, I kind of feel bad. Like, do you want me to get on Facebook and do a 10 picture challenge? <laughs> She's like, no, but, but I mean, what difference does it make that one person isn't on Facebook? Probably, probably none, but it just, I feel better about it for me. Yeah. And there's all sorts of studies that show that social media doesn't make you feel good anyway. So. Yeah. I'm hoping that there's a retreat from social media in years to come. I'm really hoping because right now, especially with teenagers, it's so bad on like Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok. The reason why they want so much of your time is so that they can steal more of your data. Is that not they want, they want your attention is what they want. Yeah. It's so valuable to them. They know the more you use their product, the more they know about you, the more accurately they can tailor ads. And I just think it's important to know that on the other side, you know, there are really smart people whose job is just to make sure that you keep scrolling, that you stay on the platform. So it's designed to be really hard. And it's not just, it's not just teenagers eat anything yeah. hard to control. I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure you've seen plenty of grownups who, you know, have, have a hard time. You, not your parents. I, I know your parents aren't, but <laughs> I mean, there are plenty of grownups who never put their phone down. Gosh, I think it's so, so scary to think about. It's, mm, I don't know. I don't know what it will be like to see this generation. Like, I feel like I'm right at the, at the beginning of the, of like the kids growing up on social media totally. and what happens when we reach adulthood, when all of those kids who use hours and hours of social media every day, you know, it's interesting. What like how would, what would you, what are you going to do? Let, let's say you have kids. Are you going to want, are you going to let them go on social media? Well, this is, this is a whole thing because if you don't let them go on social media, yeah. then they're an outsider. This was my, when I, I was first getting on it, it's that you're missing out. You're going to be out of the loop. And so how do you use social media in a healthy way when it's designed to deceive you? Yeah. It becomes this whole it's really hard. I really hope as a society, we're going to figure it out, Eden. Like I'm hoping that right now we're doing the equivalent of bouncing around in the backseat without seatbelts. And oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to figure it out. But I do think just being aware that these tools are designed to keep your attention and companies are, your attention is making money for companies. Wow. Yeah. Mm, we're like they're puppets spending they want you to spend seven hours on tiktok every day yeah but, mm, it's hard to feel hopeful when it it's like it's gotten so bad when teenagers are spending like on average like seven hours a day or something like that on their phones it's the world we built so unless we yeah. want to fix it we i mean we can there's lots that can be done and this is an area with, a, if you're interested in this area, there's, there are so many career opportunities in this space. I mean, if you're a technical person, you can be a privacy engineer. So you can design products to build privacy and trust in, and respect into the product. Yeah, that in fact, that's one of the legal requirements under the GDPR to do privacy by design and default. And th so there's a lot of work. Those there's so much work in this space. I know we're, we're trying to hire privacy professionals and it's really hard to find them. I feel like data privacy does not get the attention that it deserves, especially on a 
at a government mm -hmm. level. I mean, what did you say? What did you say that the FTC or, or what was it called? The, yeah, the FTC. Uh huh. The what was the what, what is the guideline? Well, the the law that they have to use as a as a hook to punish companies is the um, it's Section Five of the FTC Act, and it says something like um, there's a prohibition against unfair and deceptive trade practices. I don't. I'm not quoting it exactly, but that's the gist of it. It's not a lot more words than that. It's just that's yeah. I don't. That's not enough. When you have teenagers spending <laughs> up to like literally seven hours on their phones, and that is the guy. Like that's the law. Like really. Mm. I have to agree, but I think uh, yeah. We'll see. I I still feel I I don't think you should feel bad, Eden. I think it's it's a crazy. It is a crazy time to be young. Like you guys are actually living my worst nightmare, being stuck at home oh, with your parents. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Well, yeah. In quarantine, our entire lives are online, on yeah. Zoom, doing all of your schoolwork online. That's that's a lot of data. It is. Zoom is not monetizing your data, and we're not tracking you when you're when you're using the platform. Well, shout so, out to Zoom for that. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. Do you have any concluding thoughts before we end off here? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to, I feel like I brought you down and I don't mean to do no, that. No. I just think it's, um, you're, you, your generation, you're really our first generation of like totally digital citizens. And, you know, we, as your parents, we have no idea what we're doing. Nobody's raised digital citizens before. <laughs> so you, you guys can, there, there's so much work that needs to be done to create policies to protect people and no one will know better than 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 your generation the real consequences of not having those policies so yep yeah well there's not the buck like you guys can fix this but yeah. <laughs> i mean i i definitely think that there's some i it scares me to think about but that doesn't mean that i'm all doom and gloom um I think eventually we'll move in the right direction and it won't be as bad as it is, as bad as it is now. Um, but for now, Lori, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's so fun to get to talk to you, Eden. Yeah, this has been <laughs> awesome. Uh, if that's all you have, Glory, um, which you gave us a lot, that was very, very interesting. This has been Eden on 88.9 The Bridge with my show, Garden of Eden, which you can listen to every Saturday at 10 a.m. I hope you have a great rest of your day.